You're listening to the NABS Now podcast, brought to you by the National Association of Blind Students, a proud division of the National Federation of the Blind. Welcome to the NAVS Now podcast. With colder months ahead, blind students around the country, particularly ones impacted by colder temperatures, ice, sleet, or snow, might be wondering how am I going to get to classes tomorrow? Or what are some adaptive techniques to overcome those obstacles and barriers? So we wanted to spotlight an individual that continues to make a difference in people's lives. So join me as I get to sit down with an instructor from Blind Incorporated as he dives into Kane travel journey, what led him to become a travel instructor, and to hear those tips and advice on extreme conditions and more. From the NAVS Now studio, joining me is a phenomenal traveler, highly knowledged individual. I'm really excited to spend some time on this podcast as we approach those frigid colder months to learn a little bit about travel and what you all as blind students will gain, gain some knowledge and experience as well. So I'll have this individual introduce himself and then we'll kind of just talk here. Hello, Napsters. Uh, my name is Javier Sotomayor. I am originally from Puerto Rico. I am currently um the lead home management instructor at blindness learning in new dimensions uh, but most importantly um, i am also a certified cane travel instructor um, i worked for the state of utah as a cane travel instructor and i am a what they call in the business an nomct or a national orientation and mobility certified trainer so that means I can train cane travel instructors as well. So I have a vast amount of experience in all areas of travel. Very good. We're happy to have you on, on the NAVS Now podcast as well. Jadiel and I actually were talking on a side note about how our names are very unique. And we're just like learning to say each other's names. So that's been quite delightful. But on this podcast, as I've said earlier, we're talking kind of travel. Do you want to share your path into travel and what got you really intrigued into being able to teach other blind people how to travel. Absolutely. So it all started back in 2008 or so. I was born legally blind and it wasn't until 2008 that my sight was just going really, really bad. And I was just in a very, very dark place. And so I, I was just absolutely desperate and made some really dumb decisions. And that's summer, um, just before I was going to start college, I had the opportunity to meet the National Federation of the Blind. And I met something that I thought I would, I, I've never seen before. And that was blind people traveling independently. You know, that's something that you don't see a lot in Puerto Rico. And that's something that is still to this day seen as radical or uh, just unusual. And it's something that is very much a thing in the NFB. So I, I became a member just because of that, just because I saw other blind individuals traveling and it got me a thirst for going out there. Then going to the national convention in 2010, it's kind of funny to, to think back at that time because it was at a national convention that my sight fully went away. I was walking down a hall when it just, I lost all of my sight just out of nowhere. Just gone. And wow. Just gone. No just way. gone. Yes. Yeah. And crazy. yeah. And, 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 I panicked 
But being in a hotel full of other blind individuals, you know, 3,000 or so that were going everywhere, doing everything they can, it prevented me from going into a panic attack and, and prevented me from doing something dumb uh, and reckless. Now, were you a cane user at this time? I was a cane user. I didn't know how to use it properly. I was pretty much self-taught because I, until this point, I had very, I, I had quite a bit of sight and teachers in Puerto Rico were not, they, they said that I had enough sight that they didn't want to teach me cane travel, which makes absolutely no sense. So the rudimentary cane travel skills I had were pretty much self-taught. And one of the things that I wanted to do as I be, got into the organization was I wanted to get proper training because I saw everybody being absolute perfect travelers, or at least I thought they were perfect travelers and I wanted to be just like them. So as time went on, I I went into rehab, rehab said no, I talked to a bunch of people and they said no, but eventually I managed to get in and get paid to go to the Louisiana Center for the Blind. And that's when my, my passion for travel ignited, seeing the the, the power that cane travel was giving everybody, that the, the ability to move around, the ability to just go wherever you wanted, whenever you wanted, it was just phenomenal. And it just ignited a passion in me that to this day has not gone away. And so that's pretty much kind of a short abridged version of how I ended up teaching cane travel in, in specifically and in the blindness field in general. That's incredible. I know, Jadiel, we are talking about kind of the perceptions of our home country. And I would very much empathize with you by saying that even when I had a little bit more vision than I did, either I was taught to walk without a cane, or again, which reduces confidence and autonomy, or that I I would have to be with a sighted person to be able to independently travel anywhere. So I like that the misconception continues to exist. Things that may have gotten better by now, but I think in, in a lot of respect, in many ways, I feel like we still continue to face those barriers outside of the, the country that we are in, in America. Like, blind people should should not be traveling independently. So I like how that was almost like empowering for you. Yes. And 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 I ever since I became a cane travel instructor, I've had the opportunity to teach travel in two other countries. I've been to well, specifically Guadalajara, Mexico and Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. The perception that blind individuals cannot travel by themselves is is very prevalent. And it's something that is very I, unfortunate. I, I wish I, I I wish I had the time to do a, a, a study of some sort, figure out where it all stems from, and do a sociological study on it because it it's something that it's so prevalent worldwide that there has to be a reason behind it, like a sociological or cultural reason behind it. And I wish and I I want to know why. See, if we can tackle the the root of the problem, but mm-hmm. alas, I don't have time for that. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. You know, I was thinking the same thing. I wonder if it's like, well, you can see what's ahead of you kind of thing, right? I, I was yeah. thinking about the roots of that, too. It's like, well, if you don't see what's ahead of you, how are you supposed to maneuver the world around you? But obviously, we have these alternate techniques and, and adaptive mm-hmm. ways to, to, to overcome those barriers. So that's that's great. Thanks for sharing. Obviously, you are the travel buff here. I Although I do, I do strongly believe that blind people should be able to leave their living space and then and then should be able to maneuver themselves independently around the world. Orientation of ability is something that 
I significantly feel is is highly important because I haven't again had the opportunity. So this is great that that we get to have this conversation here. What would you say have been the biggest struggles and obstacles as you, as you navigated through those to to become a travel instructor, a blind blind travel instructor, particularly in the in the sighted community? I think for me the the biggest struggles have been not regarding my skills as a traveler, but the abilities, uh, the, the, the perception of trying to keep my students safe. I had the, the opportunity, and, and let me preface this by saying that the, the individual I'm going to talk about, mm. she, I am not blaming her in the least, and, and she mm. was absolutely fantastic to work with. When she and I started working together, she had the perception that, that it was going to be very difficult to keep my students safe. But it was mainly because she didn't know how would a blind cane travel instructor would do that. Right. At this point, however, she was working with another cane travel instructor for about two years now, and, and she was also blind. So she already started seeing some techniques and some some things there and by the by the time i finished working in, in utah she was a believer in in blind cane travel instructors uh so much so that when it was opportunity to hire another cane travel instructor uh she advocated to hire another blind cane travel instructor which was very very good but it's always it's that perception of safety how would a cane travel instructor be able to keep their students safe? And let me tell you something. There's there's a lot of techniques out there that they teach you, whether you go to a master's program, uh, both in the traditional comms field or the structured discovery side and the NOMC side, um, or you do the apprenticeship side. There's a lot of skills and techniques that they teach you as a cane travel instructor on monitoring your, on monitoring your student and making sure that they are safe. Um, mm -hmm. So it, w whether you're blind or sighted, that is something that it is emphasized a lot. And so if you find yourself with a cane travel instructor, whether blind or sighted, uh, and they have the credentials that they have years under their belts, you can pretty much guarantee that they know their stuff and they are going to keep you safe. Now it doesn't guarantee that they're going to be a good instructor, <laughs> but it will guarantee. But they'll definitely guarantee that they'll keep you safe because they know the techniques. Sure, yeah, I believe. I always believe that by learning from your blind peers and mentors, um, you develop a sense of confidence because of the empathy, because you can relate mm -hmm. to that situation. So you obviously have a reputation. It seems like for being one of the most like the ultra traveler almost you you have have this this sense of reputation whether it's through blind ink or or elsewhere that you're like the god of the travel um <laughs> god of travel uh in town so tell us some of the harshest environments that you you have traveled so i i, I don't know if i would call myself like a god of travel not even close <laughs> I, but I just thought that was I funny have... Yeah, no, it, it is funny. I, it, I've heard a couple of my students say that. And I'm like, oh, please. I, I know many, many, many cane travelers. Yeah, I would own it. That That's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I think Roland Allen will have something something to say about that. 
<laughs> but anyways, so so some of the some of the harshest climates I would say that I've had the opportunity to travel um, have been a have been um, hail, uh, a blizzard, severe rainstorms, and uh, blizzards conditions. It, some of it, most of these have been with students, uh, but all of these have been it have been in quite lengthy uh, travel situations uh, whether it was because it was lengthy or it ended up becoming lengthy because of the weather condition mm -hmm. wow wow and then did you did you make it through it okay uh yeah yeah that's great that's great if, if not I, I don't think i'll be talking to you right now <laughs> that's true i'm glad i'm glad you're able to be here <laughs> Um, on that note, what would you say are some safety considerations when you're traveling in those harsh environments? Like, what what are some things that you would say, like, this is something that I would suggest that my students do? So, first of all, a lot of people say that travel instructors are masochistic because we want, you know, we, we send our students out, we get a perverse pleasure on getting our students out into these types of weather conditions. We don't. Mm. It's... We want our students to get the experience of getting into these types of situations in a somewhat safe environment, aka with us around, because at the end of the day, there's going to be a time and a place where you're going to find yourself mm. in that situation with no one around. And we want to make sure that you can find a way that you can get out of that situation in a safe and successful manner. Let's let's take it from the top. Rain, uh, which is probably the condition that almost everybody is going to encounter the most frequent. Um, when it comes to rain, I would say that first of all, a, a raincoat is going to be your best friend. Umbrellas are 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 great; they will cover you better. Uh, but umbrellas, especially for the, especially for those uh, people that wear hearing aids, will create a feedback loop. And if people who don't wear hearing aids, it will still create kind of a feedback loop. And you said feedback loop in a sonic in, way, like to your in ears. In a sonic way, correct. Yeah. yeah, in your ears, where the sound is going to be very, very distorted. And it's going to be, be very, very difficult for you to localize sound. Um, and when you're, look, when you're navigating in the rain, um, it's already going to be very difficult to localize sound. So looking at a raincoat well yeah the, the the hood of the raincoat it will muffle your sound it's not going to create that that feedback loop that cone of noise so it's going to be slightly easier plus if you have if you're wearing hearing aids or some or some sort of hearing aid is hearing amplification or whatever the case may be um, you can just pull up the hood kind of over your ear a little bit uh, and keep and cover the the equipment and not have to cover your whole head so that way you can navigate safely and, and not damage the equipment. Um, the the other thing is um, to note is with rain, everything sounds louder. Um, everything sounds louder and everything sounds closer than it actually is. Uh, so for example, if you are navigating a, a, alongside a road, all the cars are gonna sound way, way closer than they actually are, just because of how the the rain is interacting with the car and the sound of the water and everything. So, one thing that I 
recommend my students to do, uh, and we're going to get into a little bit of travel terminology here, but it's mm-hmm. to switch their their cane technique to more of a constant contact type of grip, aka the, you know basically dragging their cane along the ground instead of the two point touch or the tap and slide. Uh, just because that way they can make sure to get a lot of tactile information. But again, it I, I say that, you know, I recommend my students to do that. Some of them do, some of them don't, and that's fine. Whatever works for them. But at the end of the day, it's just take it easy. Be prepared to, to for things to take a little bit longer. Sure. And just know that everything is going to sound way louder than it actually is. And because of everything is going to be louder than it actually is, you really want to make sure that you're paying attention to your environment. Uh, and for the love of whatever deity you believe in, don't be wearing AirPods in the rain um, oh, because you're yes. not going to be able to hear anything. Then um, in the snow, um, or especially after, especially after a recent snowfall, it is the complete opposite. In the In the snow, you get the problem of everything is quiet you are everything is muffled that means that you are not going to be able to hear a car coming until it's almost in front of you keeping um even though it it, it's 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 going to be very very annoying especially if it's Mm -hmm. fairly cold making sure that your ears are wide open is very 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 important um if you live in a place that has a lot of snow um, what I recommend is getting um, one of those hats. Uh, I, I call them beanie hats. That that way you can cover the the small the the the, the rounded part of your ears, the the top rounded part of your ears, mm-hmm. um, and get something that they call that a some people call a buff, other people call gaiters. You can think of it as a kind of a a turtleneck without a turtleneck without the shirt, mm-hmm. um, and basically a tube of fabric that you put around your neck and then you can bring that stuff up and that that's the thing that you're going to put underneath your ears and that way you can leave your ear hole open but still cover your the the ear cartilage yeah Yeah, your your head and your ear cartilage and all that stuff in but leaving the ear holes open so that way you can hear all around you that's that's Um, pretty intuitive yep and in fact that's what i do that's what i personally use here in minnesota then one of the things is in the snow you cannot hurry up in the snow gotcha. um because everything is gonna it, it because everything is so muffled everything is so quiet you really need to take your time and pay attention to everything going on around you everything in underneath your feet everything underneath your cane everything is going to be just all packed in with snow and so it's going to take you much, much longer. I always tell my always tell my students, if you have an appointment in an hour, you want to give yourself at least an hour and a half to get there. Yep. Um, because it's going to take you that long. And, and, and if, if there's a if, transit involved, public transit involved, I was, I think, mentioning to you earlier, if you want to even be more diligent with transit schedule because those yeah. vehicles could be also running behind. Exactly. 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 And, you know, in a, in a big, in a big city like Minneapolis here, they're, they're slightly better at dealing with snow than if you live in a smaller city, but I wouldn't count on it either. Uh, because again, it also, it will probably depend on your neighborhood or where you're going. 
so give yourself plenty of time uh in the snow yeah typically um, when we get hit with the snow um it's generally speaking it is okay but when we had a large snowstorm or even our light rail uh, trains would get delayed because the overhead power line is frozen so the trains can't operate yeah. at full speeds exactly yep yep, yep. um then in the but the snow the snow is it, it, it's very very easy to navigate around it's just you're just gonna have to take your time but right. outside of that it's it's fairly easy the the part that took me the long the 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 part that's taking me the longest to get used to has been navigating on ice yes. and navigating on ice is very very tricky and especially if you live in a, in northern states like um chicago uh sorry illinois minnesota montana all those no northern states uh, missouri <laughs> it's sometimes it's, we get hit with ice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it hits it's terrible uh, and and so one of the things one of the tools that i uh, and, and I have to give full credit to my now boss, uh, Jennifer Kennedy, for introducing me to these. When she was a cane travel instructor, she swore by them. There, there are these things called yak tracks. Uh, yes. And they are these, uh, you can think of it as insert. Uh, I almost think of spikes. So when I ran cross yeah. country, um, yeah, I had almost to like wear spikes because you have yeah, to grab, almost... tra grab traction to the ground. Yes, almost like spikes for your shoes, except they're more almost like coils because they're meant more for like city travel. Mm -hmm. uh, and they are fantastic for if you live in northern climates. And the we, we just had a bunch of students here at Blind Incorporated uh, that came from southern states. And, 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 and I didn't give them a choice. I was like, you guys, you guys have no experience with the snow. You're buying these. <laughs> yep. Yep. and if you're not buying these i'm buying them for you <laughs> that's very kind of you i mean you kind of <laughs> have to have it right <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah. i mean i i I've, I've gotten to the point where i don't need them every time unless it's like very unless the whole site work is like covered and nice right um but man and sometimes was... you might have an ice coated snow you might have a snow on top yeah. like on top of a frozen sheet of ice because it froze the melting snow froze overnight or something like that yeah yep yeah. and so and so those things those things are, are are just your lifesaver one other thing that i recommend and again it also depends on where you live i don't recommend this to to do to everybody but it will it will if you don't cannot afford a yak tracks or your yak tracks broke is being walking on the not on the sidewalk uh, but walking on where the grass normally is um, in this, uh, but, and then shorelining the sidewalk because that part it melts slower than the actual sidewalk. And so you get a little bit more traction there. So there, there's a lot less ice, uh, depending on the soil accumulation that might be impossible. Uh, I know in Minneapolis sometimes that that area can get like two three feet high, and I don't recommend it. <laughs> Your feet starts to slip inside of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Because yeah. usually yeah. also they they seem to plow right onto the side of the streets as well. So yep, yep, exactly. Yeah. So, but if it's early in the season, uh, then yeah, give it a shot. But it's it's not something I I, I 
recommend all the time. It is always an adventure uh, in the in in winter, especially in the northern yeah, states. Yeah, sounds like it. Every year, also uh, it changes. Yes, it changes the, every the other. Year. The yeah, it, that's the other thing. Is like each each day, each week, that sidewalk it's going to be completely different uh, because sometimes they may salt it differently, or they may you know the the homeowner may put a little bit of salt and leave this giant ice patch so just just be careful let your cane uh guide you um, if you have a dog guide i i'm unfortunately don't have a lot of experience using dog guides um, i'm a guide dog user so we could we could uh, have a whole discussion about that later <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah uh i definitely definitely will will refer to your expertise then because i that is something i i i, I wish i knew more I'll, I'll be honest with you, um, but let, let let your tool uh, it, it trust in the to your tool right. uh, and get the information that you need from your tool. I like I that. Just put just, it that way. Just, just more tools in the toolbox always better, right? And mm -hmm. then take caution. Yep. If you live in the um, southwest of the U.S. or in the Great Plains and you get a lot of windstorms, uh, one thing I will suggest is. Get yourself one of those um, skull caps or um, beanie hats. Can partially cover your ears because it's gonna make it hearing better. I had one of those in Utah. It, it worked fantastic, especially when you get those, you know, 30, 40 mile wind, constant winds all day. Get in in terms of like in terms of hailstorms. Honestly, the best thing you can do is if you if it starts falling hail find shelter just find shelter as quickly as possible get out of there hail is not fun it hurts um, sounds pretty painful yes yes it it, it does uh, i remember a student and i were walking and um and you know we just out of nowhere it it just started to hail oh, and we uh, and did you guys take cover uh, Oh, oh yeah, no. We he 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 and I ran for it, wow. uh, and then he was very apologetic later because he took off his shades. I'm like, look, dude, it, we were at that point. It was just a matter of safety. I don't care. Yeah, life like at, at that point, with at that point, let you know, it is what it is. <laughs> and sometimes our brain tells us to do whatever yeah, we need to do. Exactly. Right? That's the other yeah. Thing. At that point, we just needed to get out of there. So. Right. So I like that a lot. No, that's great. No, thanks for sharing. Mm -hmm. My other point comes, it's a little bit more specific about your field of expertise, which is different cane techniques, cane travel mm -hmm. techniques, perhaps the unique cane techniques. You don't have to share all of them, but maybe a few examples of some of the cane techniques that you would suggest for specific situations. One of my favorite techniques in when it's icy um, or when the, there's a lot of snow pack, it's snow packed. Now, when it's nice and loose, when it's snow packed, I would say it's a constant contact. And that is because it gives you a lot of information on the different transitions of the snow. And what you're looking for is rough texture versus slick texture, meaning you are going to have a lot more traction on those rougher patches versus when your king just loses all traction. And it's that tells like you right at there. that point. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that tells you that there's a big ice patch there. It's not going to catch all the ice patches. I learned that from experience, but it's going to catch a good, you know, a good 90 some percent of them very, very easily. In terms of the navigating through 
especially freshly fallen snow, I am a big, big fan of, especially if you use a cane as in recommended between uh, shoulder, between the shoulder and the nose, recommended size. I said, I recommend my students to switch to a pencil grip and hold it really high, meaning choke, uh, meaning holding the cane kind of low and holding it very close to your body. That way you are able to kind of push the snow aside as you're walking. You have almost you're like not a plow in front of you. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. That way you're not going to have as much reach. So you're going to be moving a little bit slower, but you're going to be able to feel, find that tech, the, that the sidewalk a lot easier. Yeah. Because uh, when it's freshly fallen snow, if you try to push the cane in, it's just going to be shoved in there and then you're going to have a hard time pulling it out. In terms of other techniques, especially if in the winter, it, when everything just kind of feels all the same, pay attention to a lot of those uh, very basic, and, and, and I love going back to the basics, on the texture change between streets versus driveways and crowning and slants. There you go. Slants towards the street. Those are things that are going to kind of give you ideas if you're getting close to a street, if you're getting close to finishing crossing your street, if you're walking onto the street accidentally. Taking a sidewalk, for example, I mentioned earlier the that a sidewalk usually is going to have a, the snow is going to melt faster. That can work to your advantage because the, the snow is going to be much lower than the than the grassy areas on the sides. So while it might be covered in snow, you are still going to be able to kind of follow the sidewalk fairly easily by just feeling those snow barriers on each side of the sidewalk if you're having a hard time kind of going through the the area. There's one thing I'd like to kind of close this episode off with, which is in an advice piece. I like to do this with a lot of, a lot of my episodes, which is to give you guys a time to share this is particularly for our developing travelers. What are some of your advice? What are some things that our developing travelers or students who are continuing to develop their travel skills can do in their scope? I would say, look, even if it's just going around the building or taking, or going around your college dorm, whether it is taking a left off of your classroom instead of a right or, or deviating a little bit out of the normal route that you take out of your house, out of your dorm, whatever the case may be, even if it's just a little bit, that little bit helps a ton uh, because it helps you build your confidence. It helps you build your your skills because you, at that point, you're not working on automatic. You kind of have to think about it a little bit uh, and put those, those points together. So even if it's just a little bit, deviate from that path. Um, like Robert Frost said, once in a while, take that path less traveled by, and you'll be surprised on what you're going to find. And I would also add by saying that maybe if there is a construction along, along your normal route, if by having more routes and all those alternative techniques, then, then you know how to get from point A to B in a different way. So you are not just stuck trying to find help or seek out help from um, folks who are, who, who are sighted. You can problem absolutely. solve. Yeah, you can absolutely, absolutely. problem solve. Absolutely. Although, let me tell you, construction areas, those are one of my favorite areas to travel in. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Listeners have been warned. Construction areas are fun. Yes. Well, uh, Jariel, I really had a lot of fun kind of hearing through your experiences, and I think our listeners did as well. So thank you for coming 
And are there anything else you want to kind of round off, finish off with kind of your sign off? Take your cane. (laughs) Yeah, keep exploring. Take your cane. Take your dog. Go out there. Explore. Have fun. You know, the world is much bigger than you think it is. It's a lot more interesting. I love that. I love that. Thank you to our special guest, Jadier Stomayor. This episode was created and produced by Seiyun Choi and Kinchuk Talar of the National Association of Blind Students Content Creation Committee. Visit us on the web at www.navslink.org or find us on social media as the National Association of Blind Students, a division of the National Federation of the Blind. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.